The Bible reading is taken from 1 John, chapter 4, and it's verse 7 to 21. 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. And we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. My sermon was even remembered. Well, no, no, I, I tell a lie. The illustrations were remembered. Kate couldn't remember what the sermon was about, but she remembered the illustrations. Not the same. It, it, it is nice to be with you again. I'm sorry that you've got somebody preaching with a view next week, because it means you won't need to invite me again. Uh, we, we itinerant preachers will be uh, redundant or competing for your attention during his, his, as his or her holidays. I'm the foggy idea. But it is nice to be with you. Anybody um, seen Fiddler on the Roof? Either the play or the film? 
It was at Burnley Mechanics uh, in the autumn. I saw it there for the first time and was very impressed with uh, the, the performance. An, an amateur production, but they certainly do well. There's a lovely scene from Fiddler, Fiddler on the Roof. Tevez and his wife Golda are being forced to move from their home in Russia. And one day Tevez comes into the house and he asks his wife, Golda, do you love me? Do I what? She says. Do you love me? Golda looks at him and then responds, Do I love you? With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town, you're upset, you're worn out. Go inside, go lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. <laughs> Tevye interrupts and asks the question, Golda, do you love me? Golda sighs and looks at him and says, Do I love you? For 25 years I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cows. I like that, whether they're coming. <laughs> After 25 years, why talk of love right now? And Tevius answers by saying, Golda, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. It's Russian tradition it was, those who had not seen the thing, that bride and groom didn't meet until their wedding day and it was all arranged for them by the matchmaker those of you who remember the song Golda, the first time I met you was on our wedding day I was scared, I was shy I was nervous so was I, said Golda but my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other and now I'm asking Golda, do you love me? do I love him, Golda signs for 25 years I've lived with him fought with him 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? Then you love me, Teviot asks. I suppose I do, she says. And I suppose I love you too, he says. Doesn't change a thing. But after 25 years, it's nice to know. <laughs> I, I think, read that uh, bit and I think about the... I'm quite sure it was somebody who was asked on his... Uh, golden wedding anniversary asked by his wife um, do you love me? and he says did I say I loved you 50 years ago when we got married? and she says yes well I'll let you know when I change my mind <laughs> is it alright to drink this water? you're not sort of infected with anything right? <laughs> the great thing about our relationship with God is that we know he loves us and he told us he loved us when he sent Jesus. And this is the key verse. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Or as the Good News Bible has got it, as a means by which our sins are forgiven. Atoning. We don't use that word a lot, do we? How do we atone for our failures? How do we atone for our sins? We don't have to atone for our sins because Jesus has done it for us. That's what it's all about. We know that God loves us because he sent Jesus to live and die for us. This morning we're going to look at that reading 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 to 21. And this is where it starts. Before we can think about anything else in this passage, 
There is one truth we must grasp from verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If you get nothing else into your head, just get that verse into your head. We love because he first loved us. I'm going to look at it under three headings. And I wish I'd remembered that you did the projection because sometimes I do a little uh, PowerPoint to go with my sermons, but uh, I'd forgotten that you did the, the projection. Three headings, the precedence of love, the projection of love, and the pretense of love. Precedence of love, the projection of love, and the pretense of love. You remember those points? Because I shall ask you next time I come. All right? The precedence of love. Karl Barth was a, a German theologian who escaped Germany just before the war, went to settle in America. Brilliant man who wrote sort of long theological treaties. Um, his, his church dogmatics is sort of several volumes long and they're all thick, full of complicated words and sometimes sort of German alliterations. And he was once meeting with a group of American students. And the student said to him, Dr. Bart, what is the greatest, the most profound thought that you've come across? And Karl Barth stopped for a moment and he said, the greatest truth I ever learned was at my mother's knee. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. From a great theologian, the simplest thought. A Roman Catholic priest once announced that in the evening service he was going to preach on the love of God. He didn't usually announce his sermons and that intrigued the congregation. So several people, extra people, turned up for the Sunday evening service to hear him preach. But when they got into the church, they found the church in darkness. And they wondered what was happening. And then the priest walked in with a candle. And he went up to the crucifix as they have in Catholic churches. And whatever you think about it, just think about this illustration. He went up to the crucifix with his candle and he just held it by the crown of thorns. Then he moved the candle to the right hand. And the nails. Then moved it to the left hand. Then he moved it down to the wound in his side. Then down to the feet. Then he blew out the candle and walked out. And he'd said everything that there was to say about the love of God. Victor Hugo, who was the man who wrote the original book on which the musical Les Miserables is set, once said this, The greatest happiness in life is being loved for yourself. Or rather being loved in spite of yourself. Being loved. Have you ever thought that you're actually loved by other people in spite of yourself? In spite of your faults and your failing and your quirks, etc. The greatest thing in life is being loved in spite of yourself. Romans chapter 5. Paul writes about how rare it is that in actual fact somebody should give their life for somebody else. To give their life even to somebody who was a good person. But for a bad person, for somebody to give their life for a bad person was even less thought of. But then he goes on. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Not that word still, while we were still sinners. Not after we'd been forgiven, not after we'd been reconciled, not after we had been sanctified. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then a couple of verses later, and I like the Good News Bible translation on this. While we were enemies, he made us his friends. You know what I think the sad thing about the, the Middle East situation, and it was a sad thing about the Irish situation, was that while they were enemies, they wanted to stay enemies. And the sad thing about the Middle East situation, this has been going by for 3,000 years, that the Jews and the Arabs have been fighting over that territory. But while we were God's enemies, he made us his friends. Through the death of Jesus. Loved in spite of yourself. And we start here. Realizing that we are sinners who have been forgiven through God's love. And like enemies we have been reconciled to him. You talk about Northern Ireland. I think the greatest miracle that's happened in the last 20 years was South Africa. And I just hope it's not falling apart with change of leadership. When Mandela and Tutu could get people to talk about forgiveness and peace and reconciliation. People that have been divided by race and colour and all kinds of bitterness and anger. And they were able to live in peace. While they were enemies, God came into that situation and made them friends. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The means by which our sins are forgiven. We start here realizing that we have been forgiven by God's love and reconciled to him. The precedence of love is God's love. The projection of love is how we present that into the world. Dear friends... Says John in verse 11. Since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. One verse that is often misquoted is John chapter 13 and verse 34. Love one another as I have loved you. That's not actually what it says. What you have there is not one sentence, you have sentences and a half. Love one another, full stop. That's a sentence. As I have loved you is the beginning of the next sentence. As I have loved you, so you ought also to love one another. What's the difference? The difference is it puts the emphasis on as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? We've just answered that question by dying on the cross for us, for reconciling us through his death. He gave his life for us. That's how Jesus loved us. As I have loved you, so you ought also to love one another. Wow, that is mind-blowing. That's our blueprint. That's what we're supposed to be copying in terms of love. This reconciling nature. Well, it's a challenge that very few of us will ever live up to. But it means that we can never be satisfied with anything less than that kind of love. We can never go to that point and say, well, I'll love so much and no further, or I can't love them anymore, because God never said that to us. We can never reach the point where we can say we've loved enough, 
There's no room for complacency. Because God never said that about us. Verse 19 of 1 John 4 puts it very, very succinctly. We love because he first loved us. That's our drive. That's our motivation. We project our love unto the world because of his sacrificial love for us. There are two reasons why we must project this kind of love. The first of all is in the actions of Jesus and the love that he has shown to each one of us as individuals. Not just to the group, but to each one of us have felt and known his love. And the second reason comes from Jesus' teaching. Jesus was asked one day, what was the greatest commandment? He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And then adds, and the second one is this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The second greatest commandment after loving God. Somebody once wrote, immediately we become rightly related to God through the death of Jesus. We have the same relationship to our fellow humans that God has to us. If our heart is right with God, then every human being is our neighbor. But will it be easy? No. No. You see, the problem is that before I can love somebody else, I must be weaned from the dominance of my love for myself, for my own needs, my own desires. And I've got to have a much stronger motive than simply that good intentions. This is what I want to do. This is my New Year resolution. This is what I was told to do in church. Much greater motivation than just a willingness or an openness to obeying the scripture. Much greater uh, motivation than just sort of having a desire for a good reputation. To be seen as somebody who's good and nice. First and foremost, my love must be focused on God. On what he has done for me. On what he has done for me. And if my motive is simply to try and love for, live for the service of others. And it's a personal, personal motivation. Then there are times when I'm going to be disappointed. There are times when I'm going to be frustrated. There are times when I will be possibly hurt. I will meet unkindness. I will meet hypocrisy. I will possibly become exhausted in my work. I may have what other people have called at various times compassion fatigue. But if my mainspring of my service is my love for God, then no ingratitude, no sin, No devil, no angel will hinder my service. No matter how people treat me. I will never say, that's enough. And how do I know this? Because I will be trying to exercise the same patience that God has had with me. God is a very patient God. I sometimes think, I'm glad that God is God and not me. Because I would have lost patience with myself years and years and years ago. But God is ever patient with me. His struggling servant. But I will do it not in my own strength, but in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
For John again says in this passage, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of the power, has given us of his spirit. By the grace of God, by the love of God, by the power of the Spirit, that will be our motivation to try and fulfill his will, to obey the words of Jesus. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. But it all comes with a warning. And that brings us to our third point. The pretense of love. The pretense of love. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. In verse 8, whoever does not love, does not know God, because God is love. A young man wrote a letter to his girlfriend. My dearest darling ducky, or something like that. I love you so much, I would swim the deepest sea. I would walk a hundred miles just to be at your side. I would pay the ultimate price just to be there with you on a moment like this. Your darling, George. We haven't been to George's here this morning, have we? That's good. P.S. See you on Saturday if it's not raining. (laughs) It's easy to use wonderful phrases in our worship songs, in our readings, etc. But when it comes down to, we have to put our love into practice. And John challenges our understanding and our experience of love. If it's real, then it will have a profound effect on our lives. Somebody said, a person cannot come into a real relationship with a loving God without being transformed into a loving person. Now think about that. Think about the corollary. If that is true, and you are not a loving person, then have you been transformed by the love of God? How much do you know of the love of God? How much do you know of the love of Jesus? How those words that we sang this morning, from your heart or just from your head? When we come into relationship, real relationship with Jesus Christ through the cross and we know his love, it's got to drastically change our lives and the way we treat other people. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Do you know God? Do you know his love through Jesus Christ? Have you been touched by that? Have you experienced his forgiveness? Is there some experience of yours at this moment where you're thinking, I should be forgiving? It may be that you've been touched again by God's love. John puts this in very, very practical terms. And it's not easy. It's not easy. I like that little ditty. To reign above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with saints below. To live below with saints we know. Well that's another story. (laughs) But you see. We have to share God's love. With people that we know. The awkward. The cantankerous. The objectionable. The rude. 
the unappreciative people that we meet each day who are part of our life. Why? Because that's us. That's us to other people. Loved despite ourselves. Notice the people who we are supposed to love. John says that we cannot talk about loving God unless we love our brother. In other words, somebody who's very close to us. Brother, sister, mother, father, and uncle. It's amazing how often relatives fall out. And Jesus says we've got to love our neighbor. That isn't necessarily the person next door. Maybe the person that we work with. It's easy to talk about loving the people in the Far East or the Near East. But to love the person who lives just down the road. And the person we work with, the person we meet on the bus. Our neighbour is not always quite so easy. It's the people we are closest to emotionally, relationally, physically, who we are called by God to love. Put love into practice with the people we meet, the people we know. Show them the same patience that God has shown to us. A small town in America, there was an old lady who lived with her grandson. He's only about seven or eight years old. Sadly, one day the house caught fire and the old lady died in the fire. The neighborhood had gathered round watching the fire and wondering what to do next. And they heard the cry of the little boy shouting for help. But we all felt a little bit helpless because by this time the fire had taken hold. But suddenly they came, pushed his way through the crowd, one man. And despite the heat and the pipes, he climbed up the drain pipe, went in through the window, managed to find the little boy, brought him back out and restored him to safety. Some weeks later, the community had to have a meeting. And this little boy had got nobody now. His parents had died some years previously. His grandmother had died. He was on his own. What could they do? A farmer got up and he said, I'd like to give this little boy a home. My wife and I would like to give this little boy a home. We think that we can teach him a career farming, give him a good start. A banker got up. He said that, well, my wife and I would like to give this little, little lad a home as well because we've got a good income good finance, we can afford to give him the best. And then a teacher stood up and he said that, well, my wife and I feel the same. We feel that we would like to give the little boy a home because we think we can give him a good education and a good start in life. The members of the community were looking at each other and trying to think these were three good opportunities and the little boy was sat there sort of looking and not knowing what to do. Then suddenly a man got up at the back and pushed his way forward. He said, I'd like to give this little boy a new home, but I've got nothing to give him but my love. And he took his hands out of his pockets and he just showed them. And the group of people, the community gasped because they saw the scars on his hands where he'd burnt his hands climbing up the drain pipe and going in to that room. And the little boy looked at the man and recognised him as the man who had saved his life and ran towards him and gave him a hug and the other people just sat there grateful that they'd been able to offer 
but knowing that this is where the little boy wanted to be, with a man who'd risked his life for him. How do we respond to God's love? This is love not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Let's be practical. Let's sit in silence and let's just think a moment. Is there somebody that we have failed to show love to through neglect, through pride, through selfishness? Lord, teach us how to love. Is there somebody that we've got a grievance against? We've been hurt, we've been offended. Oh, we'd love to have an apology. But God didn't ask for an apology for us when he sent his son. Lord, teach us forgiveness. Jesus once said that if we wanted to offer our gift at the altar and we had a grievance against somebody, we should sort that out before we offer the gift. Lord, teach us forgiveness. And Lord, as we think about your love, as we think about your love for us as individuals, as we think about the way that you've touched us at various points in our lives, the times we've failed you, rebelled against you, neglected you, and yet you've still held out your arms for us. We thank you, Lord. So, Father God, moved by your love, moved by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to be your loving people in this world, showing your love to others, friends, neighbors, strangers, enemies, just being agents of your love in this community, in this society. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.